Welcome to the Humane Roundup Podcast, where we share all the exciting stories about animal cruelty investigations, dangerous animals, and amazing rescues. Find out what goes on inside of animal shelters and all the current trends in the animal welfare industry. Now, here is your host, Daniel Edinger. Welcome to episode 62. We got a big one today, don't we, Bishop? We do, and I am really excited for it. We should be getting some pretty good information, and hopefully it's going to help everybody out to give them a better understanding of things, what we deal with, and what we need to be looking for. Absolutely. It's exciting. And our guest who we're going to have here shortly, Phil Arkow, is going to join us, and and we're going to have some really great topics to talk about. So we're excited about that. Again, this is episode 62. We have some things here to to listen for. We do have the Coranda giveaway, so stay tuned to the end of the podcast to figure out how to enter into that. Don't forget that uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, all the platforms, Twitter, so check us out there. Should we make a TikTok, Bishop? What do you think? Oh, good Lord. (laughs) I deleted that app. (laughs) It seems to be all the rage right now. Oh, it is, but it's a little scary, some of the stuff that's out there, too. It is a little scary. So uh, it's unbelievable to to see how much content is out there. And I'm sure some of that's due to the current climate with COVID and and everybody being home. Trying to stay connected and entertain yourselves. I'm glad my kids are in that between age. They're not there yet. So... I'm sure in a few years they will. My kids are five and a half and like to try to be like, mom, can you put this on TikTok? And I'm like, no, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) That's great stuff. That's funny. Cool. Well, I think we should just jump into it. I I don't want to keep our guests waiting any any further. So if most of our listeners know Phil Arkow and really understand the link the national he's part of and i think he'll give us more information on the national link coalition when we get him on here but it's really important that we understand the link between domestic violence and animal cruelty and you know just what we're dealing with currently with covid and how people are working from home and i know there's been a a spike in domestic violence reports and and i really am curious to have you know phil on to talk about what he's witnessing and, and knowing what's going on in the, you know, in, in the, in the country and to be able to talk about it as an expert. So Phil, we're happy to have you. And, you know, I was doing a little research on, on you before you came on. And one thing I didn't know, and I, I know you, you have a really decorated past in this industry. And I don't know if you recall, you and I chatted one time at a, at that time, it was a Sawa conference. We were kind of just hanging out outside of one of the breakout rooms, but, uh, and so I learned a little bit about you then, but I didn't know you co-founded uh, NACA. Uh, in, and that's a really interesting t- conversation to have. Yeah, I was one of the founders of the National Animal Control Association and uh, the State Humane Federations in Colorado, Colorado and uh, New Jersey as well. And uh, I've had the you know the good fortune to be in the right place at the right time with a lot of different things uh, going on. and getting involved with a lot of uh, national organizations. I've been in this field since 1973, which either makes me a pioneer or a dinosaur, depending on how you want to look at it. Don't tell them when you were born, Ashley. No, it's kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was cut up you young whippersnappers. Yes. Hey, I'm not as young as Hildy, so. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and I see you, you also do some teaching as well in 
Is it the University of Florida? Yeah, we have a, a course in uh, animal abuse and interpersonal violence that's part of the veterinary forensics course at the University of Florida. It's an online course, and we've been doing it online long before everybody else started going into remote learning. I also have an online course through Harkham College on animal-assisted therapy, which, again, has been, I think we're in our 16th or 17th year now with that. Fantastic. Fantastic. So let's jump in. I, I know everyone's kind of short on time today, and we want to keep it moving. What are you seeing? What trends are you seeing with the link currently with the COVID climate? Well, I'll give you just a little bit of a brief intro first. Uh, the National Link Coalition uh, was founded by me and 24 other people who got together in a hotel room in Maine back in 2008. We'd all been working independently for 20 years at that point. Uh, on recognizing that it's not just an animal rights or an animal welfare issue, but in fact, animal abuse hurts people. And the whole basis for the humane movement going back into the 19th century has been the impact of animal abuse on human violence and human behavior uh, because legislators, frankly, don't care about animal issues. They do care about human issues. And there is a bias in the human services sector, in the philanthropy sector, and especially in the legislative sector, that unless we can show how it affects people, they just really don't care as much uh, as, as they would otherwise. So we began focusing on the academic research depicting the link. Uh, the, we showcased uh, wonderful programs going on, uh, legislative activity going on uh, in all 50 states and around the world, and building public and professional awareness that shows that it's not just animal abuse linked with domestic violence, but there's also child abuse and elder abuse folded into this, and that anybody working in any one of those uh, professions uh, is likely to experience multiple forms of family violence. And by learning the basics of how to recognize and report those other forms of violence to the appropriate agencies, um, we're all going to do a much better job of uh, fighting these four forms of family violence, animal abuse, child abuse, elder abuse, and domestic violence, um, and pool our limited resources for a more cohesive, coordinated community response. Uh, so we've been active in this for many, many years. And then, of course, COVID came along. And that has just uh, exacerbated the situation dramatically. And uh, Andrew um, Campbell, who's a researcher in Indianapolis, has done a number of pieces on this uh, this past year. And I really like his language on this. He calls it a slow-moving disaster. Uh, and in fact, has linked the rise in domestic violence incidents under COVID with similar phenomena that happen after natural disasters, such as the Mount St. Helens eruption, uh, hurricanes Katrina and Andrew, California, earthquakes, wildfires all over the place. Um, and in all these situations, the stresses uh, caused by, in this case, the pandemic or natural disasters tend to lead to an increase in all forms of family violence combined with the problem that the social services systems, the animal protection systems, um, the resources that are available are you know, severely compromised in their ability to do anything uh, in response. So do you find in this scenario that basically people are taking out their frustrations on their family, right? They're, they're anxious, nervous, the uncertainty, and so they turn to family violence. Is, is that a good way to kind of measure what they're doing or is there something else behind it? Oh, that, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, there are a lot of other factors that are involved with this. 
Uh, first of all, you know, the families are being confined at home. Um, people get on each other's nerves under the best of circumstances when they're confined in, in, uh, in small spaces. Uh, there's lots of literature showing why there's more violence in cities than in rural areas just because of the close proximity of people. But when home is no longer a safe place for you because you're trapped at home with your abuser, uh, that complicates matters. Uh, abusers often, well, the whole theory behind domestic violence is that it's a matter of power and control. And when the abusers are um, under stress themselves, whether it's from economic uncertainty, unemployment, just too much time on their hands, uh, and whatever, they turn to even more controlling behaviors as a way to exert more you know, control and try to you know, cope their way through it. Uh, the victims are losing their support networks, whether it's social service agencies that are there to help. Uh, the domestic violence shelters uh, are working under limited staffing because of uh, COVID restrictions and limited capacity while the demand uh, for shelter space is going up. Um, their family connections aren't there, so um, they're not getting help and support from family members. Um, meanwhile, uh, any other social service interventions, whether it's Gamblers Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, I mean, their meetings have all you know, been compromised or, or closed. Uh, if she wants to go to court for protective custody or uh, for the kids or protection order against the abuser or a divorce case uh, in a really bitter situation there, a lot of the courts are closed or they're severely backlogged. Uh, Meanwhile, there's an increased sales across the country of firearms and ammunition, hmm. which is one of the leading issues involved with domestic violence fatalities. A lot of uh, convicted abusers have been released back into the community because the prisons have been forced to cut down on their uh, populations, to cut down on the spread. And so you take all that and then you add in the social distancing and the quarantine uh, restrictions, and that just feeds into the age-old abusers uh, tactic of isolating the victim from everybody else and we got a real mess on our hands so and phil let, yeah yeah i, I was going to ask so is there a, a, another time in history we can say something similar obviously maybe not this pandemic and, and maybe the, the data wasn't there for like the spanish flu but is there something that's going to show a trend over let's say the next 10 years on the increase that we may see in domestic violence and animal cruelty well, I, I don't know that we've ever had anything comparable to this uh, period. Uh, as I, I mentioned Andrew Campbell earlier, uh, he has found that uh, the long-term effects of natural disasters um, in terms of psychological trauma and the increase in, in community violence afterwards can often uh, lead, uh, linger for as long as two years afterwards and sometimes okay. as much as 30 months. So, yeah. So, I mean, and of course, we all expected we would be through this by this point. Obviously, we still have a long way to go. And of course, the psychological toll on everybody involved uh, and uh, is just immense. But I mean, some of the things we're seeing, I mean, it, both in, you know, in the UK and France and Spain, uh, the number of domestic uh, violence fatalities have tripled. Uh, wow you know, have increased by as much as 49%. Wow. Uh, radiologists, you tried this one, came across my desk recently. Radiologists are reporting higher incidence of severe in intimate personal violence. Wow. Um, you know, severe injuries, okay? Uh, suggesting that victims who normally wait, you know, the, the national average is normally, you know, it takes her seven or eight times before she leaves 
good. Wow. Um, okay. They're waiting and delaying for all these various reasons. Uh, and the cases just keep escalating. And so they delay reaching out for the, the healthcare system because they're afraid to go to the hospital, you know, until we get into the late stages of the uh, physical abuse cycle. So then the radiologists are seeing like old breaks yeah. and old, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, um, uh, and let me just add one more thing to that. Uh, Andrew Campbell's other work in, in Indianapolis found that um, under normal circumstances, uh, you know, like I said, it takes her seven or eight times before she leaves for good. When animal abuse is also involved in a domestic violence situation, there are anywhere from 20 to 50 episodes that happen before she finally makes the call. And to make matters worse, uh, law enforcement responders will tell you across the board that the cases they hate to get involved with the most are domestic violence cases because everybody's angry at everybody and they don't know who's right and they don't know who's armed. The risk of lethality to first responders doubles when it's not just domestic violence, but there's also a history of animal abuse in the home. Wow. Ashley, you had a question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just to kind of clarify for the listeners, so you've actually been seeing more reports come in about this, because I guess my thought is, is these people are almost kind of getting away with it because nobody is able to check in on on the victims at this point uh, because everybody's confined to their homes. But are the reports actually increasing like you're seeing more or are they maybe more severe you're only seeing the super severe ones and there's more out there that we're just not seeing yet because nobody can check on the victims i think it's a combination of all of that um, a lot of places are reporting more calls but obviously their the services aren't there to to respond to them but uh, the domestic violence agencies are saying there's there's an increase and we're seeing but you know we're seeing uh the opposite with child abuse hmm. uh child abuse calls uh, the child abuse hotlines are dropping in Chicago. They went down 44% or actually wow. statewide across Illinois. Wow. Um, because, you know, two of the main sources of reporting suspected child School. abuse aren't available. Yeah. Yeah. Teachers and physicians. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So calls aren't coming in. We're seeing similar things with elder abuse. Um, if the elders are trapped in homes, um, you know, and they're not getting out. The neighbors aren't seeing the, the bruises or the social service agencies aren't able to visit them. And we have caseworkers from adult protective services and child protective services that just aren't making house calls anymore or, you know, inspecting the premises. Then we're losing uh, that reporting mechanism. Phil, does the does your website, the, Nas the National Link Coalition dot org? Yeah. Yeah. Does it have yeah, any. Does it, does it have, so here's, here's my, one of my, I guess, soapbox, soapboxes is <laughs> I want more calls from my PD saying, Hey, we went out on a DV complaint and this dog, man, it was just limping or it just looked lame. It was lateral, something, just, just a tip, just say, Hey, will you guys just go check on it and just do a quick examination? Is there any, any sort of handout we can give to our PDs, uh, anything that you can recommend that they, that they know what to look for. We're, you know, I know we have a very large uh, police department where I work, but some of the smaller agencies, it might be easier for them to get in there and talk to them and just say, hey, there is this link, right? There is a link between animal abuse and domestic violence. So when you're called to any of those situations, these are the animal pieces you need to look for to give right. us that information when, when you get back into the office so we can come out. 
Dan, does your department have a domestic violence packet that they go through? Like, cause I'm sure I'm, they do. I mean, I just need to get my hands on it, and I don't, I don't have access to that. Okay, at this time. I was yeah. gonna say because I know ours has an actual um, questionnaire on, you know, was the animal abused and things like that, and we just updated it so that it got a little more in depth because many of our officers just, you know, brushed it off a little bit. But... Sure. Do you well, have? We're going beyond that. Yeah, first of all, yes, if you go to our website, nationallinkcoalition.org, and look in the resources section, you will see all sorts of materials there that back this up, including some handy checklists. Uh, some great ones came out recently from Connecticut, um, one for the Department of Children and Families on how to recognize suspected animal abuse, and one for uh, Connecticut animal control officers on how to recognize suspected child abuse. But it's not rocket science, it's common sense. And what we basically tell law enforcement, social workers, child protective, adult protective agencies. If you see somebody doing something to a dog or a cat or any other animal that you wouldn't do to your own, make the call. Um, and don't expect that you have to be the expert and know that it's animal yes. cruelty. Turn it over to the appropriate agency and let them look at it. But there's a caveat to that, which is that most people don't know who to call mm. because there is no consolidated uh, national or even statewide system for reporting suspected animal abuse. So if you go on our website, you will find our national directory of abuse investigating agencies. Great. And we have 6,500 cities and counties in the country listed with who to call to report suspected child abuse, domestic violence, elder abuse, and animal abuse. And it's really scary because uh, in most states, there's one hotline number for domestic violence. There's one hotline number for child abuse. There's one or two hotline numbers for elder abuse. And there can be 600 different numbers for animal abuse. Wow. So we've created a directory. So do you, see, <laughs> do you see in the, in the future, so in our state in Colorado, we have a mandatory reporter for our veterinarians, right? So if they suspect neglect or abuse, they have to report it. Do you see that growing throughout the country? And do you see it also growing in a sense where PD will then have to, there'll be mandatory reporters, just like we are for elder abuse or child abuse, they'll have to report suspected animal cruelty? Or do you, do you think that's kind of a, a pipe dream? When I, what got me into this was when I was with the Humane Society of the Pikes Peak Region in Colorado Springs in the 1980s. And I was doing an in-service training for teachers, and I brought a local veterinarian in. And at the time, I was the Humane Movement's delegate to the Animal uh, Welfare Committee of the American Veterinary Medical Association. And I had one of those light bulb moments. And this is about 1984, 1985, I think it was. And I said, Doc, every teacher in this room is mandated by Colorado state law to report suspected child abuse. But I don't know about veterinarians. Do vets have to report child abuse? And he thought of me and said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. It, was a ma it turned out in 19, the 1980s, Colorado was the only state in the country in which vets were specifically named mandated reporters of child abuse. Wow. I said, well, let's take that one step further. Uh, do you have to report animal abuse to me at the Humane Society? And he said, no, why would I ever want to do that? I might lose a client. Yes. And I thought, what's wrong with that picture, right? <laughs> well, let's fast forward to 2020, and we now have 35 states in which veterinarians are either mandated to report suspected animal cruelty or abuse or neglect or animal fighting, or at least permitted to make a report. 
without fear of civil or criminal liability if they make a report in good faith. Um, this provision of the immunity was the big stumbling block. And once the American Animal Hospital Association uh, encouraged states to uh, pass those laws and then AVMA followed suit, uh, we started seeing a flurry of more states getting involved. But we still have 15 states to go. Uh, Kentucky is the most recent one just this year that finally allowed vets the permission to report uh, suspected abuse. They were the only state up until this year that specifically prohibited veterinarians from reporting wow. abuse. Uh, Don't they so still allow beastie, bestiality in that state, though? Uh, no, they, okay. they finally outlawed bestiality in Kentucky, okay. but it is still legal in Hawaii, West Virginia, uh, New Mexico, and Wyoming. Okay. Oh my for, goodness. For animals is, yeah. Be, again, that's better than the 23 it was. I'm so, say. I said that's better than the 23 that it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a big improvement. And again, it's based on legislators recognizing um, the, not the moral issue, but the fact that animal sex abuse, as we prefer to call it, mm. is strongly linked with child sex abuse and child Absolutely. pornography. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. Back to so just it sounds like we've made some progress in the in the time that you've you know obviously been in the industry and ironically our paths paths are similar because I used to work for the Humane Society of the Pikes Peak region I just won't tell you the the year because I don't want to throw that out there on you <laughs> however so do you think in the future we will it feels like everything that I'm seeing is really is really starting to encompass. We have to, you know, that great quote by by Gandhi. It's you know, uh, how does it how does it go? It's the um, uh, it's I the, have it um, as my <laughs> gauge the uh, hum, gauge man by how he treats animals. Yeah, yeah. So, it's something along those lines. It, it's it's my tag on my email at work. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Bishop! Oh. But it's, it's something how we. Um, but define how a, you know a country can be um uh basically its moral compass is is how we treat our animals or something like something of that nature and i'm sure our listeners are having a field day with me right now because i don't know the quote but it's fine my point is it seems like we have we we finally are there we're finally realizing all the connections right that animal abuse uh, there we go and animal abuse is related to you know the the climate of our family the climate of our country those type of things and so i'm glad that we're there and i'm hopeful in the future we see more cross reporting from our you know our agency partners and things like that i'm going to switch it up just a little bit cuz we're you know about 10 minutes left here let, let, let me let me just uh, tag on to that with another quote this one just crossed my desk yesterday uh, speaking of Kentucky, Joy Keeley, who's in the Louisville area and heads our Kentucky Link Coalition, uh, just had an article published uh, yesterday in the Journal of Animal and Environmental Law. And she uh, closed out the article there with another quote that everybody in the uh, humane field understands and has, has heard, uh, but she put a new spin on it. She goes back to the Jeremy Bentham quote from the 1820s. Uh, who wrote, you know, the question is not can animals reason or can they talk, but can they suffer? And she said, the next question we should be asking is who else could be suffering by the same hands? Yeah. Oh, that that just gave me chills. Like I have goosebumps. Because that's, yeah, 
true there. Like, wow. So this topic, and we, we discussed a little bit off air, and I've just thought about it over the past few years because I've seen an increase in bites from dogs to whether it's children in the home, whether it's a spouse, someone inside the home. And has there been any study or research to show that the behavior that an animal is exposed to in a home could potentially predict its behavior by causing it to bite or something in that nature? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's lots of research out there that, you know, dogs are in particular are extremely acute in picking up the the negative energy or the positive energy in a home and modeling the behavior of the, of the people around them. Um, we had, uh, well, one of the earliest linked studies was in New Jersey. Uh, Randy Lockwood did this many, many years ago, um, looking at homes where there was child abuse and found significant overlaps. Uh, uh, 80% of the homes where the children uh, were victims of physical child abuse also had animal abuse as well. But there are also 11 times more dog bites in those homes. Uh, the dogs fought back uh, with the only weapons they have, their teeth. Absolutely. More recently, yeah, a study just came out of Denver, of all places. Uh, uh, Denver Children's Hospital is reporting a tremendous surge in the number of uh, dog bites affecting children, uh, you know, as a result of the COVID uh, lockdowns. And they're tracing it to a number of different factors. More kids are at home. Everybody's in close confinement. The dogs are picking up the stress that's going on in the house because of, you know, the financial and lockdown situations, but also the changes in routines and uh, not getting their normal, you know, 12 hours a day to take a nap while everybody's gone. Um, and Child Protective Services aren't on the scene to, to see the dog bites. And one of the things that scares me is when I do trainings for child protective uh, workers, I ask them, I say, it's not just an animal abuse issue. Do you look at the home for any signs of dangerous animals? Because we've had four cases that I know of, of children who are under investigation by CPS who were killed by either dogs or snakes. Oh, uh, interesting. Snakes? CPS, yeah. And CPS just huh. didn't uh, see them. And uh, caseworkers tell me, no, we don't look for dangerous animals because one, we're afraid of them. And two, we haven't had training in any of this. And three, if we get bitten, it's a worker's comp claim. Hmm. And I'm going, hey, uh, you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle here, folks. And if you're afraid of that dog or snake, what do you think is life for the, that child's welfare that you're supposedly in charge of? Absolutely. And so the parent or guardian could be using that as an intimidation factor or just being, I mean, there are times where they're neglectful. So one of the things that I've seen from, and I've heard from some of my you know, peers throughout this industry is violent crimes committed by children. So let's, on animals. So let's take this for an example. Let's say a, a kitten was beaten by like an 11 year old with a hammer or a pan or something like that. They have to be learning that behavior for the most part, right? Most, most children aren't just wired to be violent, right? So they're seeing it through something. Either in the home or they're just not being supervised and they're watching horrible programming. Violence, you know, emerge. And are, are some kids just born psychopaths or, or, or do they learn that behavior? Um, and there's no easy answer to that. Okay. Uh, what we do know, though, is that it's not just children who perpetrate animal cruelty, uh, but children who witness it as well are at 
great risk of developing other antisocial behaviors. Mm. Interesting, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but it's also, I also have to qualify this. I mean, the common folk wisdom is that every little boy who pulls the wings off of butterflies is going to grow up to become a serial killer. That is not true. Sure. Many of them don't. Okay. Many times kids who are abused uh, wind up protecting animals or they, they seek comfort in those animals as the only source of comfort amidst the uh, violence that's bombarding them from all directions. Uh, but what we are telling people is that when children are showing an unusual fascination with deliberately hurting animals, it is cause for concern and professional intervention is called for. Absolutely. Well, this has been really eye-opening. We're hopeful that you can come back at some point if, you, if you'd like, and, and we can continue this conversation. Maybe we have a, a check-in here in the middle of the year and see how those numbers are trending. And, you know, if our listeners have questions, we can relay those and, and have you back on to discuss that as well. Sounds like a plan. I appreciate okay. the opportunity. You bet. Absolutely. Great information. I really appreciate you coming on, Phil. Um, I really hope that the listeners do come up with some questions. I know we kind of asked for some, um, but it was a, it was a little late. Um, but I, I think that you've given us a lot of information that we can come up with some good questions for follow-up later. And just to remind our listeners, just to remind our listeners, wait, your website is the nationallinkcoalition.org. And I'm sure you can Google that if you don't remember the .org part. Phil, is there any other websites or anything else that they should know about? I would say start there. Like I said, our resources section is just chock full. We have a bibliography with over 1,500 uh, citations in it. There's a lot of research about this. We have all, a lot of this information broken down by specific professional groups uh, and broken out by the various types of family violence. Uh, we're trying to create community link coalitions uh, around the country and around the world. And uh, we've got about we've got forty five hundred people now that are on our receive our free monthly newsletter. It's called that's the fantastic. And uh, you know you can uh, access that on the website and just uh, if you'd like to join it, just send send us an email and just uh, include in your email where you're located and if you're involved with any professional organizations, just so we know who's who's who in in our uh, database. Uh, but the more the merrier. And it, so, I can great. I can attest that the um, the newsletter is a fantastic resource. Lots of information every month. I get it and I pass it right along to our domestic violence officer. Um, so she can, she hasn't wanted to sign up for it, but I make sure she gets it every month when I get it. So good job. Good job getting it in her hands. Well, Phil, again, we really thank you. This has been a, a great program today and I'm glad no pun intended that we were able to link up and I'm hopeful <laughs> that we can stay connected. Uh, stay connected because you're an amazing resource for our profession. You're an amazing resource for the animals, the people in our communities, and we want to continue to to have you on our side. And we're hopeful that uh, you know communities continue to grow with the the research and information that you put out. So again, thank you from the Humane Roundup, and thank you from me personally. So, and hopefully we can talk soon. Sounds good. Uh, thanks again. Uh, thank you, everybody. Stay safe and. Uh, we're all in this together. Let's get through it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right, moving on. So that is pretty much our program today. What a great, great show that was, huh? Yeah. 
That's, Absolutely. That's, Lots of I information. I could have talked to him for hours. I could have literally <laughs> picked his brain till there was yeah. nothing left. <laughs> it's a, it's just an amazing, uh, amazing. First and foremost, just an amazing person to have out there being an advocate for what we do. Right. And I, I think it's uh, just wonderful to, to know that there are resources. And, and I'm speaking for some of these smaller agencies that feel alone and don't have Maybe they don't have that connection to their, you know, their DV officer like you do, or maybe they feel like there's no one listening. So why not sign up for, why not sign up for the, the newsletter and then send it or talk to your chief or your captain or your supervisor, Hey, this is really going on and it's proven and we have experts that are here to help, right? They're a resource okay. for us. Uh, and, and that's, what's important. And so we're not, we're not alone in this. And, and that's why I'm so grateful that, you know, the national link coalition is there. I'm so grateful for people like Phil and I just want to make sure our listeners know that they're not alone. So check out the website, right? Reach out. Yeah, if you absolutely. Need it. Yeah. You know, and I'm sorry. You, no, you're good. I, didn't, I couldn't hear you. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and Phil does go out and does some trainings and stuff. I know you said you were at a training. I was at a training, um, here in Wisconsin with him. Um, the man is full of information and the newsletter has got everything from, um, animal abuse to elder abuse and, um, domestic violence and child abuse. Like it, it encompasses everything. So, you know, sharing it with all those other resources, not just your domestic violence officer, if you have one, um, but all the agencies involved. Um, I've been lucky enough that actually my domestic violence officer um, is a huge animal lover and animal advocate, and her and I get along great. Um, so when she has cases that are involving animals, she definitely gets me involved. And, you know, we had one that we had two partners one got stabbed because the other one was high on meth and mm. come to find out um that night when he got stabbed he kicked the dog and you know she called me in and i interviewed the guy and come to find out the abuse had been going on for quite some time so on top of the uh charges he got for stabbing his partner he got charged with animal cruelty as well well that's a good tease for next week's episode so we're going to talk about some of the cases we've handled that have domestic violence elements in them. Right. And so, mm -hmm. uh, do your homework, get, get ready to, to talk about some of that next week. And just, you know, as we move forward, if we're you know able to help people out with our experiences, that's, that's what we're here for. So if any of our listeners have something they want to share about that domestic violence <clears throat> angle that we're going to, we're going to talk about next week, you can, you can submit that information anonymously. You can go to our website. You don't have to leave a name. You, you can leave out all the information of the people. Uh, but if you do want to share the case itself, feel free to sh shoot us that message. Uh, we'd love to share it on air. I have a few cases that we can chat about that happened a long time ago and just good experience and, and things that you can look for. Uh, and I don't want to get too much into the detail, but bites, right? Animal uh. bites on onto a person why, why do you like, what, what is that wound on your hand from, et cetera. And we'll talk about that yep. more in detail next week. Don't forget about our Coranda giveaway. How do you get that? How do you get that bed this week or this month? Bishop, <laughs> do you know how to get that bed? Uh, refresh my memory. Cause yeah, good job. So you post a photo 
of your pet with its yes. gifts. So whatever That's gift right. you got it for, for Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, uh, post a photo and <clears throat> that needs yep. to be post by, posted by January 24th with, with your chance to win by the 29th at the end of the month. Or excuse me, the winner will be announced on the 29th. So then and the it month. doesn't. Doesn't have to be just your cat or dog. If you're lizard or fish or something, you've got you know new yep. presents. And don't, for, oh, don't forget, snake. I, yeah, that is. Don't forget about the. <clears throat> don't forget about the Animal Care Expo. Uh, registration is now open. It's the 2021. It's going to be virtual again this year. Uh, you you partaked yep. partaked in the 2020 <laughs> virtual. How'd you like that? It was good. It, there was definitely a lot of information um, and the way that they did it that, you know, you could go back through and you could talk to people. Um, that was very nice that you could somewhat still have that interaction. I got a lot of weird looks from my coworkers because I'm just sitting at my desk with headphones, <laughs> but <laughs> I thought it was great where you can you. So like, in, you know, the one thing great about virtual training is you can see every single piece of it instead of yep. just the just the three, you know, three tracks that you go to or whatever. And, and so that's great. You can go back in and watch something from, you know, if you want to check out yep. shelter medicine, for example, but you were in the field class, etc. So this is uh, April 21st through the 23rd. And it's so, it's, it's so affordable. It's only $79 uh, to sign up. So check that out. There are a bunch more trainings coming and hopefully there's going to be some in-person person training here soon as well. And just to put a Caranda plug in there, that's actually how I got my Caranda bed was at the uh, Animal Care Expo. There's, they still do the raffles and things like that. So definitely worth it. Definitely. Well, we appreciate everybody listening. This was a fun show. Make sure to tune in next week so we can talk about some of these animal cruelty, domestic violence link experiences that we've had there'll be an animal of the week as well and shout out to mel i don't know where the hell mel is but happy birthday (laughs) mel happy 47th birthday however old you are 47 (laughs) i don't know how old she is (laughs) mel hunt him down for that please (laughs) she's probably shoveling snow and and cutting some wood cutting some wood absolutely well as always like we say on this program, keep it humane, humane man. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Humane Roundup podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to get in touch with us? Visit humaneroundup.com. Email us at humaneroundup at gmail.com. Text us or leave us a voicemail at 916-241-3464 or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Humane Roundup.